Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Welcome, listeners. You know, at Gearhart Law, we're an intellectual property firm, and people often ask us how they can license their products, and we don't do that. Well, we help with the agreements, right? We help with the agreements, but we don't help them find people that will license their products. In general. I mean, sometimes we can help clients, but for the most part, it's better that it goes to a professional. Yes, and we have a very professional professional here tonight. (laughs) (laughs) We have Howie Bush, who has licensed many products. Howie, welcome to the show. So glad to have you here. Tell us about the world of licensing how an inventor can get their product licensed. And also, don't forget to tell us what a license is. How long do we have? I mean, this is, <laughs> it is a complicated process, but it can be made simple. So licensing is basically taking your product or your idea and essentially renting it out to somebody else. And and in exchange, you'll get a royalty or, a, you know, however you want to call it, a royalty commission, whatever you want to call it. And a lot of people do that because not everybody wants to start a business, maybe they have another job, not everybody is meant to start a business, maybe they don't have the funding, whatever it is, they may have an idea and someone else is better off to bring it to market, but they should get protection for it, intellectual property protection if they can. Yeah, and I would say too, a lot of our clients are looking for licenses because they're in the category that you just mentioned, they have a great idea, they know it has market pull, but they're really just not in a position to start their own business. And so they come to us and we file the patent for them. And then they always ask us, well, what's the next step? Right. And so from my perspective, first thing you want to do is don't get mad at me, but I'm not always a rush to file a full utility patent. I've done it where I've once I've licensed something off of a design patent. But typically what I recommend people do is get a provisional, file a provisional, Mm-hmm. Right, just to protect themselves to see if the idea is worth pursuing. So when you file, I know you guys know this, but when you file a provisional patent application, you basically get a year that preserves your place and someone can jump ahead of you. And that gives protection to the independent inventor from going out and trying to license a product. That's your protection, your patent pending, and people are less likely. I'm not telling you no one will ever steal your idea, but In all the times, and I started out when I first started trying to license products, I was nervous and I would have graphic designers signing NDAs. And then I realized, you know what? It's really hard to get a product to market. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying no graphic designer will take your idea and and beat you to market, but it's really hard. So you don't want to slow your process down too much with things that you don't necessarily need. And especially if it's a novelty type of product or something like that, listen, if you're doing a medical device or something you know, software related, yeah, then you need to get NDAs and and really get full protection. I would say the main thing is to talk with a patent professional before you get too far down the road because there's trade-offs for doing or not doing everything that you suggest. And it's best if the client is aware ahead of time, they may be saving money, but what are they giving up? And you can certainly proceed with a provisional patent which is a very economical way to move forward. A lot of our clients opt for that option, and we support them in that. Sometimes NDAs are necessary to protect patent rights if there's going to be an international filing later on down the road, but you may not be worried about that. So really, it's best to get the advice
advice of a professional and chart your course. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I mean, that, you know, there's there's no one size fits all approach for anything, right? right. And mm-hmm. so, you know, life typically is not black and white. There's, you know, much more gray. And I do speak to patent attorneys, obviously, like you find folks. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And then there are economical ways to move forward. And if you're in a position where you want to take that approach, then you can certainly do that. So Howie, how do you find people that will license your stuff? I mean, I think that's the biggest hurdle that people face. First of all, we put together what we call a hit list of people who might be potential licensees of our product. So the best way to do that, believe it or not, is to go to a store. Let's just say we're talking about a consumer product. I came up with an idea for a travel pillow. And what I learned pretty quickly is you can't get into these places in the airport like someone has that locked up. They're the exclusive pillow supplier. Most places like Hudson News, they have their pillow supplier, right? And what I did was you go to that store and you look for the products that are somewhat similar to yours, where that would sit on the store shelf, and you look on the packaging, you take down the names, And those are your people that you would license to. Those are maybe you would possibly consider them competitors if you were going to make it yourself. But since you're looking to license, they become your potential licensees. And you also go online and you do a Google search, a deep Google search. You go on Amazon. And when you go to Google, I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to other inventors, like wannabe inventors. I've coached inventors and taught them how to license and help them get their products to market. I can't tell you how many times they've said, yeah, I've done the research. I'm like, Okay, you know, and I'll literally plug in a different term than they used, and I'll come up with the exact same thing they're talking about. I'm like, did you see this? They said, oh, no, that didn't come up. So when you do your searches, you can't (laughs) just think what you would call it. You have to think what anybody else might call it also. Wow, what fantastic advice, though, to actually go into the store and look at what's being sold and finding the companies that are selling it, right? If it has a spot on a store shelf, it's moving. Somebody's buying it, and the company behind it is successful. And that's a really quick way, I think, to get some information about who might be interested. It's a good point. And what's so interesting is so many people, I started out like this too. I used to think, my idea has to be so unique. There's nothing like it out there. Sometimes that's a problem. It may not be out there because there's no demand for it. Not always, but you're often better off coming up with a small tweak that makes something better because you know that's already selling. And somebody like a potential licensee is more likely to take it on because they know that it sells like this. With your added improvement, it'll sell a lot more. How do you actually get to the people to talk to who would make the decision about to license your product? Because that's pretty hard too, right? I hate to say it like this, but it depends kind of who you are and how confident you are and, and your willingness to step outside your own comfort zone. For me, believe it or not, I've licensed, I want to say two, it might be three products through LinkedIn. Literally reaching out to people on LinkedIn I actually wrote an article on LinkedIn that went viral about how to send cold emails. I mean, it had like a few months, it had like 300,000 views. And I'm not telling you that's the only way to do it, but it's a really good way, especially, you know, like people don't pick up the phone quite so much anymore, right? So it's hard to get through to people, but you have to like kind of play detective a little bit to find out who some of the right people might be at the company. You call up the company and you say, you know, who handles this? You know, do you guys take outside submissions? And they may say no. But they may not even know the person who answers the phone, but you try and find the person. You go online and you find, let's say, the company's ABC Corp. And at ABC Corp, you put in sales at ABC Corp, and you'll find out the person who it is. And then you just try and find out their email format. Like most companies have, you know, there's like one of four email formats, first initial, last name, first name, dot last name. It's going to be one of those. And there's tools out there to like test if it's the right email address. So I've used LinkedIn. 
I've gone to connections, friends of friends. I've picked up the phone. But, you know, I'll give you an example. I had a, somebody that I was coaching who was trying to license products, and he did not want to call anyone. He was so reluctant. And I just challenged him. I'm like, you got to do it. He actually had somebody interested in his product, and he didn't want to call them. So finally, he picked up the phone. He got the licensing deal. And now he makes calls all the time, and he's not afraid to do it. So I think a lot of inventors tend to like not be comfortable, you know, dealing with people and stepping out of their comfort zone. But once you do, you'll reap so many more benefits and you'll get more people to respond. And one more thing I want to say, there's so much to this that that like cold email or cold LinkedIn reach out. When you reach out to somebody, like what inventors typically do, I get emails that are literally one paragraph thick, this long. I don't want to read that. That shows up as work. Who wants to do that? Think about the other person on the receiving end of that. All you do is you send two or three sentences that are short to the point and just intrigue them a little bit. Ask them if you can tell them about it. Don't even tell them much about it. Just say, you know, are you open to a conversation? How simple is that? And it shows respect for their time. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt. Our special guest, Howie Bush, will be right back after this break. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Listening also to Howie Bush this evening, a licensing expert extraordinaire. Howie, you have been on Shark Tank. Tell us, how did that evolve? And tell us about Dewdrobe, which is your latest project. All I wanted to do was license products. I had licensed like five products, and I never wanted to manufacture anything. And then I came up with this crazy idea. I'm in the shower, and I come up with this idea for a cooler bathrobe for guys. In fact, what I did was I literally get out of the shower, get dressed, run to Walmart, bought six towels, brought it to my tailor, and I said, hey, can you make me a hoodie and pants out of this? And he did. And then literally a week later, I had my first prototype. Do you have any idea whether this would be popular or have any market pull? I thought if I liked it and then I asked like some of my friends, if most guys I know aren't robe guys, I'm like, but what if you had a cooler version of that, right? If we updated the robe and I got good feedback, but I was willing to at least make the prototype because that cost me very little. And I'm like, let me see. Let's see what it looks like. Let's see if it's something that, that I think would sell. And I did. And I brought it home. I showed my son, who was, I think, 17 at the time. And he's like, oh, my God, I love it. So I decided to move forward with it. But I realized, I'm like, you know, I can't license this. Apparel, as you know, is very difficult to protect from an intellectual property standpoint. Right. And I decided, since I was coaching other inventors on how to license products and how to get products to market, let me try Kickstarter. Right. This this in my head was a good Kickstarter product because it could rise above the noise A bathrobe for guys like, you know, is kind of, you know, like a newer, cooler bathrobe. Well, it's not just that. Never know what to get, guys. Like 
they go buy their own fancy <laughs> sports cars. And they buy their yeah, let me see, Rogue, they, sports car, yeah, yeah. Mm, that's a tough so, one. Right. So it's like, what do I get the guy that has everything? Get him the sports car. <laughs> and, and a robe. And, and, a robe. and a robe. I'll wear the robe while I'm driving the car. Exactly. So, so I decided to do a Kickstarter. And Kickstarter is a fascinating platform. It takes a lot of work to become successful at it. But I launched my Kickstarter. I set a funding goal of $25,000. It took me longer than I wanted to get my samples and all that. So I launched in June, which who launches a bathroom product in June? Because it's really a fourth quarter product for the most part. And in two days, I hit my funding goal, which was pretty cool. And five days after that, so literally one week into the formation of my company, I get a direct message on Twitter saying, I'm the head of casting of Shark Tank. Let's talk. Wow. So were you pre-selling the robes, taking orders, and that's how you were getting the Kickstarter funds? Right. Kickstarter is for goods. It's a pre-order platform. That's what you're doing. And it basically turns the manufacturing process on its head. The manufacturing process, what it used to be, or what kind of still is, is sort of broken, right? You have to go manufacture buy whatever the minimum order quantity is of whatever your product is, let's say 5,000 pieces, and it costs you, let's say, $20 a piece, that's $100,000. You have to bring it here, warehouse it, and now you got to go first see if anybody wants to buy it. But Kickstarter lets you see if anybody wants to buy it before you really spend a lot of money other than on your Kickstarter campaign. So Shark Tank reached out literally one week into the start of my company. I had a conversation with her. She's like, I love your product. I love you. I, you know, I really want you to talk to the producers. Great. And what was so interesting about it was I didn't think that this product was ready to go on Shark Tank. But, but when back. Shark Tank calls, you answer, right? This guy does. <laughs> what, what has two thumbs and answers when Shark Tank calls? This guy. So my thought process was, look, I don't know if Shark Tank will be on the air in a year. I don't know if what my product will do. Let me see. That's kind of what an entrepreneur does a lot. They put themselves into situations and they're only 50% sure that they can make it work. I have other entrepreneurs and inventors say to me, oh, you were lucky. You had the luck. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. But I had luck because I put myself out there because I did all these things that let the luck find me. I'm a big believer in you create your own luck. Same here. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You sound like a researcher to me. It sounds like you go through and research everything and get all your ducks in a row, and then you move forward. I did really research Kickstarter and how to succeed at it, but I had all sorts of issues along the way. Like, you know, my manufacturer, like a week before I was about to launch, was about to they triple my prices. I had to find a new manufacturer. Oh, my gosh. And thankfully, you know, you reach out to your friends, you include people in the process. That's the biggest thing with being successful on Kickstarter. You include people in the process and you keep them, you know, you have a mailing list and email list and you tell them what's going on and they feel like they're part of it and they want to help you. They want to be part of it. And that's, I think that, and, and I had a lot of people help me along the way, like friends and acquaintances and, you know, it was really incredible. From a product standpoint, I think you have to have a product that, has a voice, and can rise above the noise. So the voice is part of your brand. So when you were talking about there's no way I'm going to get a patent on this because Bathro's been around forever, then you have to jump in and really develop your brand. Yeah. I chose the name Dude Robe because I wanted Robe in the name, even though I didn't want Robe in the name, if that makes sense. People mm -hmm. needed to have an image of what the heck this thing is, so I put it in the name, and then the dude part kind of leads the whole voice and the storytelling. Right, it's not stuffy old man bathroom. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. A dude, bro. Right. <laughs> or a dude. 
So this has been really great. Howie, how can people reach you? Howie at Dewdrobe.com. If you've just tuned in, we have three pitches coming up, and you missed a really good segment on licensing and how to get on Shark Tank and how to rise above the noise. So listen to the podcast tomorrow. It's Passage to Profit, and you are listening to Passage to Profit on WR710 with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart and our special guest, Howie Bush. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearhart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearhartLaw.com. At Gearhart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearhart Law, www.gearhartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearhart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Hi, my name is Elias Lee. It's been great being on Passage to Profit. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And we just had a fantastic discussion with Howie Bush, and now it's time for the pitch part of our show. When you're listening to the pitches, please think about which one you like best and go to the Passage to Profit page on the Gearhart Law website or just type in Passage to Profit to find the web page and scroll down and vote in the poll. And that's Gearhart Law, G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W. Everyone gets one vote, and the voting is open for one week. Don't forget to like us, too, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Get your friends to vote, and just remember the name by imagining you're walking down a passage with a huge pot of gold at the end. Passage to profit. And may your passage be short and your profit be huge. Now each contestant gets two minutes to pitch, followed by a discussion with Elizabeth, myself, and Howie. The overall vote getter gets a professionally produced video of their pitch, a $500 value. And it goes on our YouTube channel. So our first pitch is by Garon Dekasar. Welcome. Thank you. I am the founder of the Vani Shop, and the company is here to help you reclaim your crown. There's about 80 million men and women in the U.S. that suffer from hair loss. That's a $4 billion industry. Also in the multicultural community, hair loss is at epidemic levels. Dermatologists are averaging about 25 cases per week. Um, so black, Hispanic, or women in general who have traumatic hairstyle practices where we do a lot of things to our hair, like chemicals and braids and weave and traction, we're losing our hair at epidemic proportion. I am one of these people. Based on my prognosis in 2012, I should be completely bald by now. That's not the case. So what I did is I went to the dermatologist, and when I was diagnosed, I realized a lot of the medications and um, practices I was offered didn't really help me right away, and they also didn't jive with the way I wore my hair. So I used my chemical engineering background from Columbia University to formulate a hair oil. The hair oil addresses the common symptoms of hair loss, which is inflammation, low-grade skin infection, and also just really just irritation of your scalp. So I started with the hair oil for myself. And when I started seeing progress in recovering hair from the bald spots I had, I started making it for friends and family just for the fun of it. And that progressed into me selling it. They pushed me to start selling it online. That was back in 2015. And now we have a website. I have about five partner hair salons that sell the products. I even had a dermatologist sell the product on the Upper West Side. Um, we sell online. We sell a pop-up shop. So 
We have a following on social media, and we're connecting more and more with people who need the service. So I connect with dermatologists. I connect with hairstylists, trichologists. I also went back to study hair and scalp diseases with the U.S. Trichology Institute so that I could further my knowledge into the field. Another part of the business that is very big in addition to having a hair care line now that has a hair oil, a shampoo, a conditioner, and a hair tea that's good for your skin and your hair, I have a platform where I hold panel events with dermatologists, trichologists, just frontliners, who I call them, to number one, educate them on how to help their patients. That's amazing. I think that there's probably quite a few men in this room right now who are extremely interested in your product. Why, why are you looking at me? <laughs> Well, you know, women's hair thins as we get older, too, so I I might try some of this oil myself. So how much of this are you selling? Are you making a profit with your company? Um, Yes, we are making sales. So because when you first start a business, there's so many investment that has to be done. I mean, I'm paying attorneys to draft contracts and everything that I'm spending money on. We are getting sales. It's not a profit yet. But we are getting a lot of sales and my sales from one year to year have grown tremendously. For example, for this year, my sales for even the first quarter is more than what I made last year. That's great. Yeah. So it's going in the right direction. Yes, it's the right direction. What is your plan for marketing the product now going forward? Um, so marketing the product is part of my plan, but it's very tough because when you delve into hair loss, you are delving into a medical place, a medical field. And big companies are afraid to talk about um, scalp care and hair loss conditions because it's it, they can get sued. So marketing has been like a dance where I even met a founder of a very prominent hair care line who basically said, this is you guys' problem to solve because now we're coming up to solve how can we market products that truly help men and women with scalp and hair care that helps them with their hair loss condition without falling into that trap. Howie? <laughs> well, yes. Clearly, they brought me in specifically to hear your pitch. Yes. So yes, that is, we did. By the way, great <laughs> casting, guys. Check out Howie on our website. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Yes. exactly. Yes. So are you competing with companies like Rogaine and Hims and places like that? You could say I compete with them, but my products are powered by botanicals, essential oils like lemongrass. So technically, there's no way that we can have FDA approved study to show that lemongrass reduces inflammation, even though we know it does. Um, I, I actually know a dermatologist right now who's trying to run that study. So I compete with them, but I have to, some of them, I can't really use the wording they use for marketing their product because they can truly say, I will regrow your hair. But for example, I might have to say my product promotes growth because it's just really a legal minefield to do that. So it's really, I find it, it's like a challenge I'm really ready to take on because a lot of women and men dealing with hair loss have been neglected because of that, because there's so many natural things that can help them, but you can't market it to them because of the legal loopholes. And a lot of the products that are given to you, which I do advocate for all my customers to go to a dermatologist first, because I think it's a 360 approach. However, sometimes some of the products they give you to use on your hair are not culturally appropriate to how you wear your hair. For example, example, they give you a steroid cream, which is white, that doesn't blend into your hair. And after three, four days of using it, you'll stop using it because everyone at work will ask you what's that on your hair. <laughs> However, my oil is an oil. It's a light oil. It blends in. You could use it as a pre-shampoo treatment. No one will know that you are wearing the product. It smells light. It smells amazing. You will lay next to your honey and not worry about your hair smelling strong. Um, so it's just really 
the way we market it is going to have to be, that's the challenge I'm taking on. So I think social media is heaven made for you, Instagram, because I went on your website and looked before and after. Pictures worth a thousand words. So yes. if you can't say it, maybe you could just show it. That's what I've been doing. So once about once <laughs> a week, point. I post before and after pictures. I post my own before and after pictures because I had a huge false spot at the crown of my head. I post pictures of my customers who send it in. So people are responding to that. Do the products work any quicker depending on the person's age? I don't think it's age related. That's why I tell everybody to really get diagnosed first because when you diagnose, then you know if it's something that you can actually even have any growth because there are some people who have hair loss for so long that their follicles have shut down. So they have scarring and it's completely smooth. So you can never tell this person that you're going to regrow your hair. Not that they can't. They might see some growth, but you can't really sell them a, a miracles. But really the education piece is like if you are experiencing hair loss today, do not wait five years later to tackle it. Start now. Do you think this is something that you could potentially, I mean, obviously you're going down the manufacturing route, but have you thought about licensing it to a bigger player? When you were speaking earlier, I thought about that and I was going to ask, that was the question I wanted to ask you. I currently manufacture and sell my product. However, you never know in the future, I might be open to that opportunity. A lot of people think once I manufacture, I can't then license. But if you've proven the market and you feel like, maybe you do, maybe you don't, that you've taken it as far as you can or it can only go a little further with you and your resources mm-hmm. or whatever, you might be better off licensing it to one of the big guys. Make sure you protect it. Do you, do you have protection? Yes, I do have protection with my manufacturer, for example, that they have to protect it as a trade secret. It's really hard to um, patent natural ingredients, but I have done everything in my power to protect my formula. I'll That's, let these guys speak to that. It is possible to license trade secrets. What it comes down to, though, is the formulation reverse engineerable. If somebody can figure out what the ingredients are, then the trade secret may not help you so much. Mm -hmm. And so if it turns out to be a $10 million product, it might be worth it for a company to invest a lot of money in R&D to try to figure out what your formulation is. Mm-hmm. You know, usually a patent is better, but, you know, it goes back to the old example. Coca-Cola was a trade secret for years and years and years. Nobody could figure out what the formulation was, and it was a phenomenally successful product. But you want to have a discussion with a professional if you haven't already, and even if you're going into a new phase of your business, it may be a good idea to revisit that discussion at some point. So it's T-H-E-R-O-N-N-I-E-S-H-O-P-S-H-O-P, mm-hmm. the Ronnie shop. I want to know how you actually came up with the formulation. You say you have a chemical training, you have a chemistry background. Yes. And so how did you come up with a formulation that works? Um, so first I thought about what I would want a hair oil to be. So I wanted it, number one, to be very light and for the oil not to be heavy. And I wanted it to smell nice but then have all those qualities that I talked about, antifungal, antibacterial. So I found the essential oils that would do those things. And then I found the essential oil I liked the most, which was the lemongrass. Then I said, okay, that's the scent that I'm going with. So I just worked my way backwards that way. And then I made sure the mixture is safe for skin and, and scalp use. So does it work on everybody's scalp, yes. gender, or everything? That's a good question. Because currently I'm the face of my brand, a lot of people think, oh, this is a black hair product. So I try my hardest to make sure that my communication tells people, okay, no, this is a product for everyone. And I give direction on how to use it. So for someone like you, like my sister-in-law used it and she's Caucasian, I would tell her, massage it in the night before you shampoo your hair. And then when you wake up, you shampoo your hair out. Or you could do it 20 minutes before you shampoo your hair because a Caucasian woman doesn't really like to have oil in their hair because it might make their hair flat. Someone who has curly or thick hair can just put the oil on their scalp and let it be because it won't really mess with their style. Shampoo and conditioner, anyone can use it. Wow, I think I'm going to have to 
Go to the Ronnie Shop. Yes. <laughs> yes. Check that out. The yes. Shop. Yes, theronnieshop.com. Yes, so you have it in how many salons did you say? About five salons. Are they, and I have some shops as well. Are they nationwide chains or um, are you looking to do that? Mostly in the tri-state area, but I would love nationwide. We just need the staffing to go and actually do the distribution to get it to those places. Garon Dekasar. We will be back after this break. You're listening to Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart on Passage to Profit on WR710 with our special guest, Howie Bush. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, Contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Hi, my name is Dara Wislow from the Blurb Spot app, and I'm so excited to be on Passage to Profit. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We're on to our second pitch for the evening with Crew Me Up with Joshua Friedman and V. You have two minutes. Go. Hi, my name is V. This is Josh, and we are the founders of Crew Me Up. We connect create and collaborate. We work in film and television and we've been doing this for over a decade. I started on Law and Order Criminal Intent. Uh, while there I wrote a book in production and we teach people the ins and outs and things that you will not learn in film school. And Crew Me Up is our newest uh, our newest thing. This is a mobile application connecting filmmakers because it is very hard to break into this industry. It is very hard to find work, to get the resources. Um, it's literally done with websites and spreadsheets right now. And those websites were created in 1996 for actors. There's one more that was created in 2008 for crew. So since that point, nothing has really come onto the market. It's a very antiquated system. So I'm literally hiring six people. And to do that, I need to make 60 phone calls. I, I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. And I'm literally running a set with over 100 people on it. We need a solution. So uh, so this actually came up. I was working on a movie in Texas with David Spade and Tammy Blanchard, and uh, we fired our gaffer during prep. Now, if you don't know, that's the guy that provides power to the set. <laughs> well, that's not a good thing. Well, thanks. <laughs> he was low on power. <laughs> so, uh, so long story short, I've got resources in New York. I've got resources in L.A., Atlanta. Uh, Texas is vast, but my resources aren't that vast. So... I turned to my buddy. I said, hey, is there an app for this? Is there something we can use? He goes, no. And so we figured we'd fix that problem. Awesome. So tell us about the app. We help with uh, scheduling, pretty much uh, streamlining the process so that you don't have to make 60 phone calls to hire just six people. There's four questions that we need to ask whenever we're looking for somebody. So every time that we go to hire somebody, the only thing I need to know is where are you? Are you available? Who have you worked for? And what have you done? If you can answer those four questions, I can say yes or no on whether I want you on my set. And with our app, we're going to give you a profile where all those questions are answered with a glance. We've got a booking button. It's either red or green. I'm not going to waste my time if it's red. We've got resumes, IMDb, websites. So all the information that I would need to make an informed decision 
is going to be right in front of your face. And not only that, the way that we hire people is so different than anything that you've ever seen in corporate America because the guys that are hiring are also looking for work. And they might be hiring for today. They might be hiring for tomorrow. They might be hiring for a week from now. But none of them are handling payroll. So the guys that are paying are a completely separate company. And then if you break down our labor even further, you've got the guys that are here every day. We call that our core staff and your additionals. So today I might have five guys. Tomorrow I might have another 30 guys on top of those five guys. And how am I going to find them? So there's no resource for that right now. And that's really what we're trying to fix. In order to manage that labor, we've created an interactive calendar. So if you hire through the app, all you have to do is click that date. And the guys that you've hired will pop up inversely. If they get hired, they'll know what job they're on. So now we're not wasting any more time. Does it incorporate the payment aspect also? No, way too complicated. Because yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty cool. <laughs> Down the road, yes, we've actually started conversations with a few companies. But right now, we just want to get people working. So it sounds like a pretty specialized market. Very right? much. I mean, it, could you, is it entertainment industry as a whole or just really film? Uh, it's entertainment as a whole. So if it's commercials, if it's industrials, if it's television, film, student films. Not Broadway yet, though? Broadway, not yet. L- not live yet. is very hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah. I find it so hard to believe, and obviously I believe you, you've done, you guys are in the business and you know it, that nobody's doing this. Me too. Like it, it, this is, tell me if I'm right, it's like Fiverr, let's just say, for the film industry. Yeah, essentially. Right? Just this morning, I was watching, I don't know if you guys ever heard of Entrepreneur Elevator Pitch, which is a show where inventors and companies go on. Entrepreneur Magazine has a thing. It's like their version of Shark Tank, let's oh, just yeah, call it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen yeah. that. I happen to be watching today, and there was a company on called Kit Split. Yeah, yeah, you know we know about them. them. Absolutely. Uh, they're like ShareGrid. It's all about sharing gear and uh, going from one vendor to another. It's like a P2P versus a B2B. But one of the things that she said was that they're going to eventually do this also. Mm-hmm. I just think you should watch the episode, A, and it may be someone to keep in mind to potentially partner with. Absolutely. We're, we're looking for many partnerships. This entire industry is full of collaboration and we've got crew. You know, There's gear, there's insurance, there's all kinds of creative things that we can partner with. So yeah. are you experiencing any pain points right now, like something that's in your way that you would like help with? Very much so. This is a two-sided market. So we, we actually have not launched yet. Everybody that we speak to are people that I've worked with over the last 10 years and mentored and helped. And the guys that started as a PA are now producers and ADs on things that I can never imagine and am so proud of them for. But if we get them to get their guys in but there's no work, we fail. If the work comes in, but there's no one to hire, we fail. So what we're looking for is support and exposure and a way of pushing this out there to both sides of the market to make it work. So what is your strategy for rolling it out? We just bought a booth at the National Association of Broadcasting Convention here at the Javits Center. Uh, 15,000 people coming in and we'll do an awareness push. We have a few social media campaigns that we're pushing and now we're going to draw traffic from social media. We're going to bring them to our site and we're going to inform them about some piece of equipment that they don't know anything about yet. That sounds good. So revenue model, how do you make money on this? Subscription service. And I mean, you would start it for free first to get some traction or not? So we're incentivizing right now. We're offering discounts in up to three free months for referrals. And then after that, we're going to charge anywhere from 15 to $30 a month tops. So is this all over the country? You said a few states. Nationwide right now and plans to expand uh, across the pond afterwards. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. This will be worldwide when we're done. Just out of curiosity, do you think everybody in the industry will coalesce around the four questions that you're asking? Honestly, these are so generic. The only time that these questions don't cover what we need is when there's creative decisions involved. 
Um, so I would not use these for a director or a DP, but if it's a dolly grip or a production assistant, absolutely. Tell us how people can reach you then. You can reach us via email, uh, josh at crewmeup.com or the website, www.crewmeup.com. V at crewmeup.com. One letter. Yes. <laughs> and Josh, you've written a book too. That's correct. So in 2011, we published Getting It Done, The Ultimate Production Assistant Guide, which is a huge resource that I actually needed myself and basically bridges the gap between film school and and a real working set. And where can our listeners find it? You can find it on mwp.com. That's my publisher's website, Michael Weesey Productions. Right. We'll be right back after this commercial message. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. This is Garon Dekosar from the Ronnie Shop. I love Passage to Profit. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. If you miss this show, well, you really need to go back and listen to the podcast because this has been a great show. So our third pitch is by Elias Lee with Philin, welcome. My name is Elias Lee, and I am the CEO and founder of a company called Philin. And the reason it was created was because Americans spend 37 billion hours every year waiting online, and we feel like that's a complete waste of time. And our idea was that we're going to give you a way to get into any physical location by prepaying a minimum spending amount so you never have to wait in line. That sounds great. So, how does it work? The way that it works is it's on an app and it knows your location. And based on your location, you can hit the button of the place you want to go, whether it's a restaurant or a salon, and um, you pick a time that you want to show up. They will have a minimum spending amount for the location. You'll prepay on the app, show up to get your services done. Like if you have a 7 o'clock reservation for a dinner reservation, you'll already have spent, let's say, 50 or or $100, depending on their minimum, and that will come off your bill to guarantee that you're going to show up for your time. So everybody wins because you can get into a place that doesn't normally take reservations and they can hold the table knowing that they have money if you don't show up. Right. It's a win-win. That's the way we look at it, too. So no refund, though, if you skip out. There are special circumstances. Uh, I mean, obviously, if you've spent... You have a sick grandmother. Right. If, you, if you've if you spent $1,000 on a, on a party and you get hit by a car and you can't show up, you call up the restaurant and say, I got hit by a car, I can't come in, they'll let you use it at another time. So do you have people using it now? Have you launched? Yeah, we have. We're doing pilot testing right now in New York City with a couple of select restaurants. There's Namwa Tea Parlor down in Chinatown. We have Han Dynasty. We have The Leopard, which is Upper West Side. Mozzarella Vino, which is right by MoMA. 
We have No No No, which is a Japanese restaurant. So we're we're slowly getting the new ones on. We're just trying to get it out there. And how far in advance do you have to book it? You have basically a one hour window that you can't book within one hour. And how do you guys make money? We actually have a very different model than everybody else. We charge the user a ten percent service fee to do this. And so we don't charge the restaurants any money. When you say a ten percent fee, so let's just say it's ten percent of the minimum I'm saying I will spend. So if if I'm gonna spend a hundred dollars I'm paying you $10, and then that $100, I go into the restaurant, I spend 150 The 100 comes back to me. It just costs me $160, basically. Correct. Okay. I can really see a need for this. We had this one restaurant in our town. It's a Mexican restaurant, incredible food. They don't take reservations, and it drives people nuts because you can go on a Saturday night and wait for two hours. That's the idea that restaurants don't take reservations because, historically, a lot of people don't show up. They don't want that. And so this is a way for you to tell them that you're coming, you're going to be spending money, you want to come when you want to come, and this way both sides win. They get a paid customer who really wants to be there, who's going to have a nice time because they don't have to wait, and you get to come in when you want to come in. How do you plan to roll this out to more than you know the handful of restaurants that are using it now? Because the restaurant industry is very small, we're talking to the leaders in the restaurants and getting them on board first. And we're also, the other side of it is there's a whole nother model to what we're doing, which is we work with nonprofits to do events at these locations so that we can drive usage immediately. So you're putting money in the restaurant's pockets, you're saying? Correct. Because for large groups, it's a real headache. I don't know if any of you guys have ever tried to you know, manage a group reservation for, let's say, 25 to 35 people at a restaurant. It's like a disaster. So... This is a way that you can do it very easily. The restaurants know you're coming. There's a minimum that's being spent. They like it. You like it. It's very easy. And for a nonprofit, it's very easy for them to then raise money and awareness for their causes. How long have you been in the restaurants that you're beta testing in? We have been in the restaurants for about three months. And what's the response been? The response is good. It's just we're taking it very, very slowly because we're trying to work out a lot of software issues. We're working on the messaging. There's a lot of things going on. What is the attendance at restaurants like using this app? Does it go up? I wouldn't say that it would go up. The goal is to get the ticket averages up for the restaurants. It's not necessarily to drive more people, even though that could happen on a Tuesday night because you might get a discount on on like a Tuesday night. But the, the goal is to get them to have a higher ticket average per person that shows up. We look at everything in terms of time. If I can save 15 minutes or 30 minutes, to me, that's worth 3 or $5 or $10 or whatever it is. So what happens if this becomes wildly popular and everybody is using this at the same time? Is there any kind of potential overflow issues where the restaurants get too many people who are using your app? No, because the way it works is they only have a certain amount of slots, unlike like a Domino's Pizza or like a Starbucks where they have an unlimited amount of slots. Every restaurant has a certain amount of slots and you can't, if once they're booked, they're booked, then we would suggest that you go to a different Mexican restaurant or a different Italian restaurant. It's all about distributing the demand so that it's across all the places. And there's a dynamic pricing piece to this model, which they can then change the prices based on the day and the time of day. So if you want to come in on a Tuesday night, the minimum will be much lower than if you want to come in on a Friday night where they're really, really busy. This way, the restaurants can actually meter the demand based on how many people want to come. And and every restaurant has a different model. If you're looking at having tacos, their minimum is not going to be $50. But if you want to go to a steakhouse, their minimum might be $100. That's how that would work. Is there a limit to how many people in your party you can have to do this? It really depends on the restaurants. Um, a lot of restaurants won't take a party of 50. If, they're only, if they only have 100 seats in the, in the restaurant, they're not going to be able to take a 50 party. Most restaurants want to cap it probably right around 10 people. A larger restaurant, they'll be willing to do something larger. Unless it's Monday night. 
Exactly. Monday night, they'll take as many people as they can get. <laughs> so, so you said there's restaurants using it. Uh, can people sign up for it right now and use it? Yeah. If you go to the iTunes store or the Google Play, it's it's on right now. And and the spelling of the, the app, it's F-Y-L-L-A-N. And it's fill-in. That is actually a pretty cool thing, I think, that I would use. Listeners, you are listening to Passage to Profit on WR710 with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart and our special guest, Howie Bush. We'll be featuring Lisa Ascalis, the inventress. Stay tuned. And if you've missed the program, we're almost at the end, the podcast will be out tomorrow. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Our program is all about startups and entrepreneurs, and today we're going to talk a little bit about getting your product made with our guest, Lisa Askeles. We wanted her to join us today to give some more advice. We could probably have her on 20 times, and there'd still be stuff for her to say. <laughs> so Lisa has helped hundreds of entrepreneurs, literally, get their products produced and promoted on TV on programs like HSN and QVC, but just not others. She has multiple patents herself, and she has sold many products of her own on these shows just with her own promotion. So welcome, Lisa. Well, thank you for having me once again. I always love being here. And I, you know what? You're, you're introducing me and talking about the patents and products, and I'm still elated about what I do. been doing this for over 38 years developing my own products, and yes, the patents, and it still blows me away. I go, are you talking about me? You can't be that old. Are you talking about You me? look like you're you 25. You started when you're 10, right? <laughs> I was in utero. <laughs> there you go. So, so if I want to make, let's say, a special kind of coffee cup or something, and I have the design, and I get a patent, either a design patent or a regular patent, and then I come to you, or maybe I don't even have the patent yet, I just have it in my head, and I come to you and I say, Lisa, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Um, what we do first, I always uh, tell people, write down your ideas, write it down, do your due diligence, check the web to see if anything like it is out there. Really, that's what you need to do, first of all. Check to see if there's anything like it on the market, the idea that's in your head. Then what we do is I, I take it and get a real drawing done. And uh, I may usually go into creating a prototype so you could see if the product actually works. So, you know, because many of us come up with ideas and product ideas that, that really don't work. They have to be engineered to work. So where does one go to get a drawing? Is that something you ask your brother-in-law to do? Or I mean, do you go to a, a drafts person then? And are they an engineer? I mean, there's a lot of different drawing services out there, right? So there are. what does somebody look for? I say start basic. Start with a regular drawing. You could start with a little 
sister or daughter or whatever it is, and, and maybe even a college student, because you don't want to spend a lot of money out the gate, right? So do something basic if you know how to draw, and then I could take it to the next level. I could take it to an artist, to an engineer, if it gets that far. If you're looking for something on your own, absolutely, you go to like a fast science and see if there's a, a, a person who does design any kind of graphic design, but go inexpensive first. I think we've hired people from work to do that. Mm -hmm. But some of the horror stories I've heard really from some of our clients on getting drawings or even prototypes is if you go to the wrong person, you're waiting months and months and they keep saying, oh, yeah, I'm working on it. Well, that's why they start with me, Elizabeth. They start with me first and I do everything in my business. I do everything from concept to fruition. I know people like to eliminate steps and they want to do things on their own. So when they're doing things on their own, I say start basics, college student, but always have a non-disclosure agreement. I was just going to say a lot of people are uncomfortable about telling somebody who's a stranger mm -hmm. um, what their idea is, right? And so they need at least some protection, and that involves a non-disclosure confidentiality agreement. Always. Right? And explain it to the person you're giving to. You know, you're giving somebody a non-disclosure agreement. They don't know what it is. You, so you're handing them a piece of paper. They have no idea what it is, and you have to explain. Please do not share my information with anybody. You promise? Because that's what this note is, right. not sharing the information. I just want to point out, too, that while agreements aren't ironclad, there's never a guarantee mm -hmm. that somebody is not going to do something funky with your idea, even if they've signed a non-disclosure agreement. It at least gives you something, some recourse if something does happen. And another important point is that if you decide to eventually patent your idea, keeping the idea confidential delays the one-year statutory bar mm -hmm. uh, in the U.S. So if you want to file a patent in the U.S., you have one year from the date it's publicly disclosed. So if you tell somebody about it, then that one-year bar begins. If you have a confidentiality agreement, it doesn't start because the invention's not in the public domain. So it's very important to get the agreement in place to make sure that you, you protect your patent rights and also, you let the other person know that you're serious about this mm -hmm. and you want to make sure that your idea is going to be protected and the confidentiality is going to be taken seriously. Very seriously. Right. And that's important. There's one other thing sure. I wanted to bring up. You do not put your name on your client's patents. Now, I know from having worked with you that mm -hmm. you have a lot of brain input into their projects but you let them have the patent themselves. Some people, we've worked with people in the past who, mm -hmm. in similar positions to you who, who insist on having their name on the patent too. And this could be something Richard speaks to as well. If you're working with somebody, an engineer who's helping you develop a prototype and they put some ideas in, but it's really your idea starting out, whose name really needs to go on the patent? It's always a conversation because I tweak people's products all the time. People, they, I have many clients who come to me with products that just don't work, as I said to you before. Great idea, great concept, but it doesn't function. So I tweak. I'll tweak an idea, tweak a product, and it's a conversation. I say, this is a disclaimer, it belongs to you. My brain just goes and goes. I can, I can rework or reconfigure anything. I know you could probably have over 10,000 patents right now if you put your name truly. on everything. I'm not kidding. No, truly. And I, I give it to the client because they came to me. I know how hard it is to, to get to that point to actually even open your mouth and share it with somebody else because most people keep patent idea or product ideas to themselves because they're afraid that somebody else is going to take the idea. Opportunity is everywhere. Just grab it. 
go after it and grab it. So true. I want to say thanks again to our guest, Lisa Askeles, and your website. On my website, sure. My website is inventingatoz.com. That's inventingatoz.com. And uh, my AOE, my conference is AOWIE. That's the Association of Women Inventors and Entrepreneurs. So that's AOWIE.com. Plenty of opportunity there. Let me help you from concept to fruition. You're listening to Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W dot com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. Remember everyone to go to the Passage to Profit page at GearheartLaw.com and vote for your favorite project. We are kind of switching over our website, so type in Passage to Profit and it will take you to the place where you vote. So in summary, our first pitch was by Garon de Cossar with theronnieshop.com. So save your hair, don't go bald. And our second pitch was Joshua Friedman and V. They have Crew Me Up where they help film sets and everybody like that. get a Anybody cr- in the entertainment. Yeah, anybody. In- and also, though, I wanted to say Josh has a book, The Ultimate Production Assistant Guide, Getting It Done. And I looked through it a little bit, and it's really informative. Anybody that's even thinking about going in this business should read it first. And his website is crewmeup.com. And then we had Elias Lee with fillin.com, F-Y-L-L-A-N.com. Never wait for your restaurant again. Also, I wanted to say Howie has Dude Rope. So his website is dudrope.com. Absolutely. So now Google Passage to Profit and make your choice. Remember, you can only vote once, and you have until next Sunday at 8 p.m. to vote. The best overall vote getter for the show will receive a professionally produced video of their pitch, a $500 value. And before we sign off, I'd like to thank everyone again who participated today. I really love hearing the pitches each week, and it's always a peek into the future. So as always, before we sign off, I want to thank everybody who trekked into Tribeca. Oh, I forgot to say, there's Elias came from Kansas City. So thank you, everybody, for coming and doing the show with us, and we love having you. Absolutely. And Howie, before we sign off, do you have any final words of wisdom for our audience? Don't wait for perfection. Get it out there and get going with it. That's what I say with my hair every morning. <laughs> well, <laughs> don't wait for perfection. Well, well I don't. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd like to thank our media maven, Kenya Gibson, our producer, Noah Fleischman, who gave us a scrumptious show today, our incredible engineer, Rob Barrett, and the whole iHeart team. So don't forget to join us next week for another excellent speaker and another round of pitches. And listeners, you can start thinking about what your pitch will be. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart on iHeartRadio Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York. 